think of the potential for the loss of cabin pressure, and then they talk about the use of the oxygen mask. The very thing that they tell is that anybody that are parents that are traveling with children, for the parent to put their oxygen mask on first and then help the children. Sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? But the truth is, is if the parents don't take in the vital oxygen first, they won't be able to help, they'll be too disoriented to help their child that'll be in need. So if we don't spend time taking in the reality of God, breathing in the reality of God's greatness, His love, His power, we will then become disoriented. Well, I'm talking to somebody tonight. And we will act in disoriented ways, amen, without prayer. If we don't spend time embracing the reality of God, we will simply live between despair and denial. Between thinking there's no hope or thinking we are the hope. Nehemiah reminds us that if we're going to embrace reality in, in all of its challenges, we need to embrace the larger reality of God. We need to create space before we bring ourselves into the presence of God. We don't pray, God, give me the strength to fight against that stuff. We pray, God, let your will be done and allow me to be in the midst of your will. Let me explain the difference between those. I know the violent take it by force and we need to stand up and all that. I understand all that. But you can pray that your will is done and it may not be God's will. So you've, you've got to pray, God, let your, if God's will sometimes might be against what your flesh wants to do. And it might just be against what your will wants to do. But you have to because it's God's will. I guarantee you that Daniel did not wake up going, this is a good day to get into the mouths of a lion. But it was God's will. I guarantee you that he probably, Abraham wanted to kick and scream and not sacrifice his son, but it was God's will. Sometimes we got to put will aside that God's purpose can be fulfilled. Well, that's good. And in the days to come, we better start learning how to pray. Thy will be done, not my will be done. In all things. Nehemiah did this for nearly four months. We face a challenge, a need. We may wonder how long we, would, we should expect to keep praying about it. And there's no simple answer. But I believe we can learn something here in this book. And I believe the months that he spent represents the process of moving from feeling bad to now feeling a burden. And there are a lot of needs that we pray for in a moment or even over the course of a few days. But there are times when there's a need that isn't met in a moment. There will be a few needs that we find keeping us back, to, uh, uh, needs that keep coming back to us. They become something that we bring to God, but then begin to find that God is bringing to us. Again, a little caveat in prayer. Sometimes you need to just stop talking and start listening. Let me 
put my will aside and just listen to what God is saying. Let me count the ways, and I'm not going to count them all tonight, but let me count the ways that God spoke to man from a burning bush, from a still small voice, from a donkey, from a prophet. We can go on and on and on. Sometimes it was just the booming voice of James Earl Jones speaking to us. But either way, God has a way sometimes that he talks to us and the only way for us to hear it is just sometimes just, I'd like to say another word, but mama's here tonight, so we just got to listen. Sometimes we've got to stop talking, stop wanting, stop desiring, stop talking and just let God talk to us and he will. Sometimes it might be in a still small voice. Sometimes it might be in a man of God. Sometimes it might be in something else, but God will speak. But that only happens if we spend time before God and give ourselves to Him. This becomes a process of forming a partnership with God and forming a vision and forming faith. The desperation becomes determination. And Nehemiah didn't just push the need aside. He didn't just push it down. He didn't just, he faced it with God. Not alone. He faced it with God. It became a part of himself. It had a place in him and it had a place in his countenance. Hear me. That leads us to the next thing that we learn about Nehemiah to accept the probabilities. And that is to take the step that change requires. Nehemiah began with an exact date and it tells us that it came after four months of prayer and breathing in God's heart, breathing in God's mind. And as we noticed, something had developed in him, something that he could not hide, something that just became uh, a part of his countenance and and it really was a risk to his life. And it led to a real moment. Restoration would involve him to embrace risk. To take the step that change requires. When we accept the probabilities, we take the step that change requires. And the king sees the countenance of Nehemiah. He sees that upon his face that Nehemiah is sad. Now we know that Nehemiah had been praying day and night, fasting and mourning, and probably trying to not let it show. But this day, for some reason, Nehemiah did. And it's noted that the king had never seen Nehemiah in such a state. And in fact, such a state was itself an enormous risk. Risk to what? To his life. For all who served the king in such times were to serve with the good mood of the king. Be, being a, a downer to the king was considered something worthy of punishment. In addition, the cupbearer was a source of trust, a security, that there was no plot against the king. 
So if the king sees Nehemiah walk in with a countenance that was different than normal and it was sad, what would you think as the man handed you your Diet Coke to drink? You trusted him that he took a sip of it and didn't die. But on his face, he's worried. When the king took the cup from the cupbearer, they would naturally look in their eyes to see if there was any conflict, any sign of something that they could not trust, anything that would give them any inkling that there was an issue for his own life. And in this case, King Xerxes may have asked if he was ill. I don't want to drink after him if he's ill. Then he discerns that it wasn't an illness, but it was a sadness of heart. And that moment became a risk for Nehemiah. He was a Jew working in the Persian Empire, a servant of the Persian pagan king. Despite whatever trust he held with the king, the need he bore inside was not that which served the king's personal interests. In fact, it was the king who had previously stopped any rebuilding of Jerusalem because he questioned the loyalty that the Jews would have to the king. And while we can't be sure of their unique relationship, we know that the kind of role he held with the king was one in which the obvious appearance of displeasure could be responded by simply removed from his role or even killed. Fact, how do you know that? Because in verse 2, it cements it when Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. Afraid of what? He was afraid because he understood the burden that laid on his heart. When somebody has a burden, it is noticeable. The burden will lay upon you if you've been praying and fasting. If you make a major life decision and you can't see it on your countenance, you better go back to prayer. If you make a decision to, to, to go before the king and say, and I want to let, uh, uh, I, I want you to, to give me uh, materials and warriors and allow me to go over to Jerusalem and rebuild it and take everybody with me. You better have spent some time that prayer develops a burden and it's seen upon your countenance. Just in case, some of us might think that this is the story of an extraordinary man. Again, you're wrong. Don't miss with what he just said. Just like a lot of us, when we're called to do something, Nehemiah was extremely scared. And this teaches us something about every one of us that all of us should step out and take a risk sometimes. Risk is not the absence of fear, but the choice to exercise faith. As you consider what is involved with moving forward in life, in face, facing making changes, you may unconsciously want to wait until you don't have fear anymore to do such then you've done missed the whole opportunity and the whole purpose. The truth is that such a time will never come when you don't have 
fear. So stop waiting. Let me take a step further that ought to make you fearful. A fig tree that does not bear fruit. The Bible says that God himself said, pluck it up. So as a born again Christian, when God has told us to take this gospel to the whole world, and we say, I will God when I'm not fearful any longer. If you're not producing fruit, don't expect to get blessed. Well, I'm too scared. I'm, I'm too nervous. You've got to step out in the midst of that and take a risk. <laughs> Somebody told me, said, when you go on, on your, uh, you go there, you, you need to dive with the sharks. Now, you can dive with a cage or you can dive without a cage. I said, or the third option, what's that? Don't dive at all. <laughs> oh, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, it is. Till you get bit or eaten. Shark will look at me and say, buffet. But how many things in life do we miss out on because of fear? And sometimes we have to just, our problem is that we try to dismiss fear before we ever do something. And you know what happens when we try to not, to just not think about what we're afraid of? It often controls us even the more. I've come to believe that we shouldn't avoid fear. We should name fear and face fear. There are fears that have control over us because they have been able to represent something more ultimate than they really are. If you have a problem in your life that you fear because of your past, you need to name that fear and say, and I know what you're trying to tell me about what I was yesterday, but let me remind you that God has saved me and I'm going to move forward. Even though I'm walking with a limp, I'm still going to go. you got to name it. There's power in naming what we fear. So go ahead. Do a risk assessment. Don't be afraid to say, if I do this, then this might happen. If I do this, this might happen. My first couple times I ever taught a home Bible study, I failed. We got quiet. It was bad. Even I got bored. But it got better. I've walked into people's homes. I didn't even know who they were. Looked at people in, in a place, not have a clue. Taught a home Bible study one time. And, and somebody sat in a whole other room just sitting there. And the whole time we're teaching going, huh. Before it was all over with, they were baptized in Jesus' name. Fear should not be something that keeps us from moving forward. Risk is not the absence of fear, but the choice to exercise faith. Look what Nehemiah said. I was very afraid, but. I was very afraid, but. But God is calling me. And is forming a faith that's greater than my fear. 
He had embraced reality. And now he was embracing the larger reality of God. So it comes out. In, in fact, it seems like he just blurts it out. I said to the king, here he is, scared to death. His life on the line, scared. He said, I was very afraid. You ever said something when you've been just so afraid that you just didn't mean to say it, but it just came out? And I don't know, I'm just assuming and writing this story. I'm sorry, it may not be exact, but I'm just thinking that he's sitting here and his knees are knocking. It sounded like bongos and his hands were shaking and he was dripping with sweat. And, and the king says, what's wrong with you? And he was very afraid and he just blurts out, may the king live forever. Why, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And I expect him going back going like, what did you just say? How stupid could you be? Stupid, stupid, stupid. Those words, I imagine, probably hung in the air. Like a text uh, bubble in a, in a printed cartoon. And what did the king see in Nehemiah in that moment? Did he still see the countenance that was sad? Did he still see the fear that was on Nehemiah's face? What was it that he saw? Something he saw from the time that Nehemiah's knees were knocking to where he blurted out the words, changed. Because the king's response to him changed. And he asked him, now let me tell you again, he was a Jew in a Persian empire. Maybe I'm wrong, some theologian can, can fix me later, but I don't believe that he had a right to ask the king for anything. But the king looks at him and saw something. Something in his countenance now has changed. And he says, what is it that you want? And man, I'm going to tell you right now, Nehemiah's countenance changed once again. It's as if the king was calling him out, calling on him to step up and put his desires on the line. And Nehemiah shares that this became the moment of even greater fear, the moment he says, that was then that I prayed to the God of heavens. I imagine most of us have had one of those moments where we, we, we you know, send off a prayer to God and we say, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Whatever few words we use is basically simply interpreted as help me. And it can reflect a healthy and holy dependency upon God. For four months, Nehemiah had been praying for a breakthrough. For the right way, to raise this need at the right time. And now he stops and asks the Lord, Lord, is, is this it? Is this the moment that I've been praying for? Is this the moment I've been praying that you would grant me a favor and I need the courage to step out now? And Nehemiah has shown an appropriate sense of honor for the king's position. And he begins, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Nehemiah didn't go to his boss in a way that it disregarded his position. He wasn't demanding. He wasn't being disrespectful. He knew that the king was a man who wanted real answers. Let me pause right here. If you can give me an answer in three words, give it to me. But there ain't nothing more frustrated when someone wants to take 25 minutes to just say, I need a wrench. I got a problem. 
I've got this certain situation going on and this needs this and that needs that and you know I got to lift this up and I got to move this and my neighbor's asking me to help with this so I don't have a whole lot of time so I got to do, do you need a wrench? Yeah, just tell me you need a wrench. Sometimes we go to God, we go, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh Lord, 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 Jesus, 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 oh Lord, Jesus. And he's like, hey, what do you need? Can't you just say, I, I need to go back to Jerusalem and I need to rebuild the city. Nehemiah comes for the big asking, the big question. And it was a moment of risk where it was life or death, but the purpose of God meant more to him than even his own life. There is where we need to be now. Where being about our father's business is above ourselves. Pastor, can't you just let us come to church, just be here, pay our tithes and offerings, our building fund, give the submissions, we give a little bit here, give a little bit there, just shout and everything be okay. I would not be doing my job comes a time when we need to have a risk factor and, and look at the probabilities of what it might cost us because whatever is worth anything does not come free. He went and he asked for three things. He said, I need freedom. King, I'm going to need some time off working for you so I can go help somebody. Two, he said, I need your favor. I, I need travel documents with your signature, which will allow me to travel safely from here to Jerusalem. And three, I, I need part of your fortune. Uh, I need several loads of lumber from your lumber yard so I can rebuild the wall and build a house I plan to live in. Why bunt when you can swing for the fences? Why go to God and just say, God, you know, if you could just touch me. Now what? How about in the midst of trouble and tribulation and trials, we just say, God, fix me. Here's a laundry list of things, God, that needs to be fixed. And I've come and faced the reality of what needs to be done. And the reality says, I've got a whole laundry list. God, you got to fix this. I need your help. I can't go through all this. Stop saying, God, touch me and just tell him what it is. I gotta, I gotta hurry. And, and, and I got, imagine with me, here is a Jew who's a cupbearer. His job is to do nothing but bring the, the, the king untainted, unpoisoned wine. And he walks up, and here's all these other servants and these dignitaries and all of these people there. And they walk up and they hear what he says, and they gasp at the risk that Nehemiah was taking. He's not even supposed to be sad. And now he's asking the king for all of this. He's lost his good sense of mind. He's risking his job. All of his years of trusted influence with the king, even his life could all end right now over this offense. I can almost imagine the king looking at him and asking, are you done? Is that all you need? That's quite a wish list. Is there anything else that you desire? And you just wonder if not Nehemiah had not thought in his own mind, 
I should have asked for this too. He said, that's it. The truth is that this list didn't just reflect Nehemiah's presumption, but rather his planning. In those moments in which Nehemiah had been praying, he'd also been planning. How do you know that? Because he brought a very practical plan to the king. If God wanted him to bring change, he had to consider what it would take in time and travel and resources. When we pray to God and we listen to the voices of God in our lives, then we'll have a plan. In those months which Nehemiah had been praying, he found what he needed from God for the purpose that lied before him. Well, Nehemiah doesn't leave us hanging. He shares that the king granted all of his requests. And because of the gracious hand of God that was upon me, Nehemiah says, the king granted my request. Again, he owed him nothing. He was losing more than he was in, in what he was given away in the cupbearer than all the timber and everything else that he was given away. For to find a trusting cupbearer was very difficult. He said, a, a little bit of lumber and all that stuff, you know, I, I, could, I could probably lose all that, but a cupbearer, but he said, okay. The king even adds to his own good sense as we read in the final two verses, the king has sent army officers and cavalry with him. And when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And Nehemiah adds how the king even added military escort. And there appears to have been some good reason with them, but Nehemiah refers to some opposition. These were those who people lived near Jerusalem, who had lorded themselves over the return of the Jews, because, people because they once ruled the land, but now had nothing but a city in ruins. So you could imagine what they thought when they saw Nehemiah arrive <laughs> in a limo with full Persian cavalry as an escort. They become the source of opposition we will, exchange, we will engage in a few weeks. But simply, God teaches us in this story about risks. And I'm just about done. I'm not even going to come close to finishing this. But Again, risk is not the absence of fear, but the choice to ex exercise faith. Come on, I've got to end it here. It's common for us to look at those who achieve great feats of courage and call them fearless. Yet so many of those lives will explain that they do deal with fear. And it's just a matter of how they'll move forward through the fear. A minister told me one time, very wise, told me this. The moment that you walk to a pulpit and you're not scared, Stop preaching. Well, that's kind of a weird thing, is it? No. Every time I take, I step up here, it's a risk. A risk that I'm not in the will of God. A risk, risk that somebody won't, risk that you guys will sit on me like a bump on a pickle. A risk that somebody will be here that night and need to hear a word and I missed it. It's a risk. But if you're going to move forward in life, if you're ever going to do something for God, you've got to, to 
look at the probabilities and assess them and saying that the risk is worth the reward. Nehemiah would teach us to stop waiting because the fear is natural. But what we need is faith. There's a lot of patriarchs in scripture that we could spend time tonight to talk about who moved in a very precarious way that you cannot doubt for a moment that they were fearful in what they did. But their faith in knowing that God could do was greater. How many times when they would say we're facing this and facing that but God. Last but not least, and I'm, I'm done. I'll leave you with this. Risk is not rooted in the absence of planning, but the recognition of our dependency. What unfolds in this moment is fascinating because Nehemiah had given a lot of thought to what he will need, even while he realizes how dependent he is on God to now make it possible. That speaks to one of the great tensions that many people can feel. Which is that planning and faith are inherently in conflict constantly. There's a lot of things that we plan in life. That life says. Psh. It's common to assume that if we get involved with planning something. With preparing for something. That if we're not operating in faith and trusting in God to provide. It might just bottom fall apart the truth is that God calls for the integration uh, of both prayer and planning faith and preparation but it might just fall apart if I've got faith in God then I need to have a plan God's given us the gift of thought so what am I going to do I want to pray with people at the altar like brother Jim does so what do I got to do? I got to have faith. Well, I'm scared. Okay. But if I have a plan, what could I do? I could pray. I could fast. I could seek the gift. I could ask. I could talk. I could be mentored. And maybe someday, just maybe, I might. But if you don't have a plan, how will you ever implement the purpose? And you can go through life wanting to do something. But if you don't ever have a plan, you're never going to. When I go on a vacation, four months ahead of time, I'm planning. I'm not one of those guys that's packed beforehand, but pretty much so. <laughs> Sorry, hon. She's not a planner, but she married a planner. So when I go somewhere, I've already had it planned out. This is what we're going to do this day. This is what we're going to do this day. This is where we're going to go. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. This is here. This is new. We've never seen this before. Let's go enjoy that. Let's go to this place. Let's go here. Let's go there. Why? Because I've planned. I've listened. I, you know, and we get there, and it might rain on a certain day that we're going to do something. That's okay. We can go do this. In life, you have a choice. You can achieve some things. By planning and having faith that it might go through. Or plan on it and then COVID said, <laughs> right. 
you, you might have a plan to go do something, and all of a sudden, out of left field, something comes up and says, not today. But I have to have enough faith to make plans that these things are going to take place and not sweat the small stuff. That's God's problem. My issue is to have enough faith in God to know that he could have these things and all this stuff could happen and just go to the king and say, hey, we got a city to build and you're going to build it and you're going to protect us and you're going to let me have safe passage. I know I'm just a cupbearer, but I've got enough faith in my God and I've come with a plan. Now some of y'all can be birthed in a lot of... Uh, things at an altar you can pray we've been preaching about an altar and now we're preaching about purpose it seems like God's leading me in this and we can pray at an altar all the time God do this God do that God give me this God grant me that God take me here God take me there but if you don't have a plan all it is is you're just dreaming now I don't have a problem with the dreamers that's great but you've got to have a plan to put your faith in action so I'm asking the church tonight I'll challenge you all tonight some of y'all need to, to, to ramp up where we are in God. Ramp up our witness. Now, so I didn't lost some of you. Some of you just went. <sighs> no, I'm serious. Our witness is not just what we say, but how we look, how we act, how we treat others. When folks look, see you walking into a, a place of business, it ought to not give them highs. I sat at breakfast a few months ago at a place I like to go to breakfast, and I was sitting there about 7.30 in the morning just by myself in the booth and just playing and dreaming and talking to God and eating bacon. What a day. And, and I'm sitting there, and this guy starts to walk up to the restaurant. I tease him at the place all the time, and the waitress come out and go, Oh, no, I'm not taking him. Uh-uh, it's not my turn. You're going to have to deal with him. I dealt with him yesterday. Nope, not me. He walks in, and she's like, hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. Sat down, and she walked away. She was like, oh. No joke. Another guy walks in a few minutes later, and I hear the host, hostess and another one going, oh, not again. This is terrible. Oh, my Lord, two days in a row. Walks in, hey, Joe, how you doing? You want your normal? Sits down. I walk up to the, the place and say, what do y'all say about me when I walk out of, walk into this place? <laughs> Our witness is important in every aspect in how we are. I'm fearful to tell somebody about God. You know what? If I've prayed and I've fasted and I have a plan, fear is not an issue. If I've, if I've put the time in, what's there to fear? Well, they might say no or call me crazy. But listen, I guarantee you it ain't the first time you've ever been told no and you've someone's never called you crazy. Probably just not to your face, but they probably have. And it won't be the last. But how many revivals have we killed? How many souls have we lost? Because we allowed fear to overtake our plan. So I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to end this tonight. We're going to take up an offering and we're going to do all that. But I want to end it with a, with, a, with a challenge. 
We could take your money with you sitting down. Ain't no big deal. We done before. We'll do it again. Sitting down, standing up, jumping, skipping. Doesn't make a difference. But if you're if you're willing to say, you know, I'm I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm afraid to teach a home Bible study. I'm scared to witness. I'm scared to bring somebody to church. When was the last time we've invited somebody to church? But you say, but I, I have a plan, and I'm willing to do such. That I, that I, I want you to be honest. And listen, don't poke fun of somebody if they can't stand. I, I got no problem with somebody who can't take the challenge on. Be honest. I'm scared, but I'm willing to try. I'm willing to assess the probabilities of failure. I'm willing to assess the probabilities of the risks that I'm going to have to take. But I, I'm tired. And I don't want to see anybody lost. And I don't want to see anybody go to hell. Folks are going to go to hell. Good folks. Nice folks. Kind folks. They ain't blood-bought folks. But I'm going to accept the challenge that I'm going to do my part to make a plan. And I'm going to pray and fast. And I'm going to witness to somebody. If that's you, that will say, I might be afraid. I'm scared to death. I, I, it's a risk. Of, but I'm willing to take the step and the risk to tell someone, then stand to your feet tonight. Don't be scared. You know, just, just say, I'm willing to do it. I'll, I'll take the risk. Now, you, you've stood tonight. You, you really have done this in the face of God. And you've really told God, I'm willing to do it. My knees will be knocking. I'll probably fail a few times. But I'm willing to take the risk because somebody's soul is worth it. How many revivals are in this building right now? Let's lift our hands up to the Lord tonight and pray. Heavenly Father, we understand the risk that lies in front of us. We understand the impossibility that lays before us. God, we also understand the revival that is white, ready just need some people to harvest let us lay aside the fear let us take up challenge let us make a difference in this kingdom and all that we do let us do it for you and every person that I come in contact with every interaction let me be a light in Jesus name we pray let's give God some praise in the house tonight Thank you.